This is recording number 10714 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Palo, California. This is the first message in the Compassionate Commandments series. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 3rd, 2007. This message is titled, Devotion. Anyway, this morning we're beginning a uh, new uh, series of teaching. I generally, uh, as you've figured out by now, I generally tend to teach in series uh, because I rarely get anything the first go around and I need to sort of hammer it home three or four times before I get it anyway. So I figure maybe some of you are like me. So I usually uh, will uh, have a, a series of messages that's anywhere from four to five weeks tops because by then... Our interest is kind of waning, shall we say. But this one's going to take us a while. We're going to be talking about the Ten Commandments, and as, if all goes according to plan, that will take us ten weeks, because we're <laughs> <laughs> conveniently enough. So that will take us through to the first week of August. But some, and, uh, you know, I, the reason that I uh, wanted to or felt led to, actually I really did feel led by the Lord to do this, uh, begin a study with you of the Ten Commandments is because they play such a prominent role in describing for us God's intentions about how life was to be lived. I wrote, I'm the one who composed this little blurb in the bulletin about this series, and I'm going to read it because I'm not good enough to write it twice or remember it, so I'm going to. Just read this because I think it captures the, the, I know it captures my heart about what we're here to do. And that is, I said, many people think of the Ten Commandments as the mean-spirited directives of an ancient white-haired cosmic disciplinarian sitting on a throne, waving a bony finger at humankind and shaming us into submission to an outdated morality. How many of you know people think about the Ten Commandments like that? But the truth is, these compassionate commandments are literally streams of loving guidance flowing to us from the heart of a God who desires to help us experience the life we were created for. Now that I can get behind. And I think it's important for us as we begin this morning to to, uh, frame or allow the Lord to frame this, um, this series of messages in light of that. Because these ten compassionate commandments do come to us out of the heart of God, not the anger of God, not the you know, desire of God to make your life miserable or to box you in and remove every, every uh, you know, uh, um, fun thing out of your life but because God wants for you to know life the way he intended. Uh, He has given us these compassionate commandments. Now, I'm going to ask you to turn to Exodus, the second book in the Bible, and to chapter 20. Easy to find. First, when you open your Bible, there's, of course, the Ten Commandments and maybe some other stuff there, but you'll get to Genesis pretty quick. And then right after Genesis is Exodus. And when you get there, I want you to turn to chapter 20. We're going to find the listing or the passage that references the Ten Commandments in verses 1 through 17 of chapter 20. And it goes like this. And God spoke all these words saying, 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And some of you have seen the Charlton Heston movie, The Ten Commandments. I don't know why, but they show it always around Easter time. Um, doesn't have anything to do with Easter, but I guess they just sling all the religious movies at us during Easter time. So sometimes you see the Ten Commandments. Uh, others of you, well, you've seen and, or heard about the, the giving of the Ten Commandments at some other point. But what this is about is the children of Israel have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God has miraculously and powerfully, through Moses' leadership, delivered them from that slavery. And they are on their way to the fulfillment of God's promises to them. You've heard it said, the promised land. They're on their way to the fulfillment of God's promises to them. And they come to the place called Mount Sinai where God had invited them to meet him. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and there this passage that we read now takes place where God gives to Moses the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue sometimes it's referred to. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall work or labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Excuse me. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male, his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew. Now, that's the very first book in the New Testament, and to chapter 6. When we read these uh, commandments, as we've just done, they can kind of sound uh, harsh or hard. And there's something in us, I you know, Maybe it's just me, but I tend to not like rules very much. When someone tells me I can't do something, my mind is already just whirling away with, the me, with coming up with a plan for doing it, right? I don't like rules. And in fact, we're part of a country that began in a rebellion. So there's something in our culture that just is... You know, we don't like rules. We've, I mean, we, we've lived long enough. We figured out that you've got to have, you know, some things that, uh, are, are, that people obey, to, uh, obey in order for the, the, uh, the society to work. In other words, when I go to the stop line, uh, a stoplight out here at Minnie and, and Sonoma Boulevard, and it's red, I generally stop. 
not always, but I generally stop because if I don't, somebody's going to plow into me coming from the other direction. We've got to have some rules in order to make things work, and we've kind of made our peace with it, but generally we're sort of opposed to people telling us what to do. But I remember when I was a kid, I was, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years old, something like that, and I went on a trip with my grandparents around the western states, and they took me, and it was just the three of us, my grandma and grandpa and me, and they took me to one of the places that we went to was the Grand Canyon. I got, I'd been driving in the car all day. You know how it is when you're a kid, and you're sitting there, and you're just dying to escape this prison of this vehicle, and so we parked, and that was my cue. I'm out the door, and I'm running as fast as I can to see what all these people are looking at. You get to the edge of the Grand Canyon, I don't know how far it is down there, but it's a long way. And there's a railing, a fence. It's, it's not uh, real high. It's not like you're in prison or something, like I would know. But it's, it's, uh, it's not real short either, but, I mean, it's a significant fence. And there's all these people there at the fence looking down into the beauty of the Grand Canyon. I'm running as fast as I can. I don't know what this is. I've never been here before in my life. I'm running as fast as I can. I get to the fence and scale to the top of it, throw my legs over it, and sit on top looking down. And my grandfather goes, Stop! Now, it wasn't, Oh, Randy, I, I don't think that's a good idea. I would prefer it if you would slow down. No, it wasn't like that. Why? Because I was headed headlong for destruction. Now that we have a God in heaven who loves us. And when he sees us charging for destruction, he's not going to step in there and say, oh, you know, this is probably not a good idea. (laughs) He's going to say, stop. That's what the Ten Commandments are. God who loves us and made us for a life of Blessing and joy and fulfillment and safety sees us heading in a destructive way and he says, stop. And you know what? When my, my, fa- my grandfather said that to me, <laughs> it was kind of already too late, but uh, I mean, not that I actually went over, but, you know, I could have, but When he said that to me, you know, it was also not just about that moment. And the Ten Commandments are not just about these things. They're always about something bigger, something greater. And my grandfather told me to stop. Embedded in uh, in that command that was designed to keep me from trouble at that moment was also... A, a desire on his part to teach me something that would secure me in other situations where I might find myself behaving foolishly. There's something behind the command. And in all of these commands, God is talking to us about more than just what's on the surface. That's why I've asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, because today we're going to talk about the first of these commands... That's about devotion. You shall have no other gods before me. 
Read with me Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? After all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." That passage of Scripture talks to us about the three uh, needs that all of us have. It talks about food and and drink, right? It says, why are you worried about what you're going to eat? Doesn't God feed even the sparrows? Why are you worried about what you're going to eat and drink? Don't worry about those things. Well, we do worry about those things. We worry about the meeting of the needs that I call or categorize our needs for... um, um, I didn't realize I wasn't that far along. Anyway, uh, for satisfaction. Because all of us have um, desires, um, appetites... And we worry, we wonder if we're going to be able to get those appetites met. The second uh, of the three needs that all of us have that is described in this passage is the need for security. What will you wear? How will you clothe yourself? How will you protect yourself? How will you keep yourself secure? And the scripture says, doesn't God clothe the lilies of the field? They don't, wor- they don't you know, toil. They don't worry about it. They don't make their clothes. God, and yet Solomon wasn't arrayed as wonderfully as the lilies of the field. And he's saying to us, your need, your desire, your, your um, worries about how you're going to secure yourself, God will take care of. The third of the three needs that we all have that are addressed in this passage is the need for significance. How many of you can add one cubit to your height by worrying about it? A cubit was approximately 18 inches, a measure of, you know, a, a, um, um, a means of measure, a unit of measure, a cubit. How many of you, about wor- how many of you uh, worrying about it can add to your, ma- your stature, your height? You can't. But how many of you know that in this world of six billion people, we're all kind of trying to figure out a way to get our head above the crowd a little bit, to be recognized, to stand out in some way, even though many of us are sort of wallflowers like myself and we kind of want to stay in the background. Still, there's something that wa- about us that wants to be known as more than just a nameless face in this great sea of humanity. 
We want our lives to make a mark, to make a difference, don't we? I mean, I don't, I'm not interested in, you know, having my name in lights. But I am interested in making a difference, making a mark. I want my life to matter. And we all have these three needs for satisfaction, for security, and significance. And the problem is because those needs are so deeply ingrained in us, we will make gods of whatever we think will meet those needs. By the term God, I mean we will put whatever it is we think will help help us get those needs met, we'll put it to the top of the pile. I remember several years ago, these are people you wouldn't know, so I'm not worried about you finding out who they are, but they live in another city, another county. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I was doing some triage with them because their marriage was falling apart, and they came to see me, and we were talking about the fact that the, the man and this couple had had an adulterous affair. And I asked him, I said, you know, how is it, because he's a, he's a Christian, right? How is it that you give yourself, how could you give yourself permission? What thought process do you go through that gives yourself a permission as a Christian to violate the sacred vows of your wedding, your marriage, and have an affair with somebody? How do you do that? And this is what he said to me. Well, she, meaning this other woman, met my needs. We will make gods of whatever we think will meet our needs for satisfaction, security, and significance. He was willing to sacrifice everything good and holy and right about his life for what he thought would meet his needs. I know another guy. This guy was a minister, a pastor. And he'd had, he and his wife had had some, uh, not, not between the two of them so much, although there was some of that too, but just in their lives, they'd had some rough stuff that they'd gone through. And they, so they were out of the ministry at the time. They'd left the church that they had pastored up in Portland and, and were, or in uh, Oregon actually. And uh, although isn't every part of Oregon just a suburb of Portland, <laughs> isn't that right? Um, Oh, they'll never let me. <laughs> Rainy suburb, yeah. And they'll never let me back in the state now. But anyway, uh, so they were, uh, they had moved to California to kind of get away from a lot of that stuff. And they were, had become part of the church we were pastoring down in, uh, in the East Bay. And, and they, God did such, and it wasn't because of us or anything, but just because they were, had joined themselves with a healthy congregation of people and placed their lives before God and said, God, we need your healing, we need your recovery, and he was doing that. And they had come a long way, and there was a great measure of recovery happening in their lives. And then one day he came to me and said, you know, we're moving. Oh, yeah, we're, we're moving out to the exurbs, out to, I forget whether it was Tracy or, or uh, Manteca or Modesto, someplace out there. Uh, because we can buy a house out there. You know, they were just renting. And we can buy a big house out there. And I said, oh, okay. Um, 
You sure that's the wisest thing to do? Oh, yeah, yeah, we need that to secure our future. We need that um, equity to secure our future. Well, I, I'm sad to say that when they, they took off out there to the, to the exurbs and bought that big home, they disconnected themselves from everything that was producing health in their lives. And it wasn't long before their marriage was over and the, everything was a wreck. Now, that doesn't always happen. Anybody here in, <laughs> who's bought a big home or, you know, <laughs> you know I'm, not, I'm not pronouncing that on you or anything. That's <laughs> not a guarantee. <laughs> but we will make gods of what every, whatever we think will meet our needs for satisfaction, for security. How many of you know people? I could tell you stories, many stories, about people who, in pursuit of significance, pursuit of that corner office, pursuit of a title, pursuit of something that will cause their lives to stand apart as significant from others, have forfeit everything else important. We will make gods of whatever we think will meet our needs for satisfaction, security, and significance. But the gods of our making cannot meet our needs. They cannot. They come to dominate us. The man I told you about that had the affair, his life for about a year and a half became obsessed with Meeting, finding, you know, scandalous and uh, covert ways of, of meeting this other woman. His whole, f all of his thought, all of his life came to be about how I can be with this other woman. And whatever it is that you are, whatever false god it is that you or others li like us may be pursuing, they will come to dominate us. And they never give anything to us. They take from us. I'll just go back and use that same example. That guy was forking over his time, his money. He was sacrificing on the altar to this false god, his marriage and everything good. And getting nothing in return except ultimately heartache and brokenness. They don't do it. They never give anything to us. They take from us. And ultimately they will fail us, these false gods of ours. Our needs, these three needs that we have for, for satisfaction, for security and significance, are God-given. God caused those needs to be present in our life so that we would seek him for the meeting of them. It's just that we always want to turn to the shortcut. We always want to go for the, for the, um, the bogus, the false, the counterfeit solutions. And they always end up uh, dry in our, in our mouth. Our needs are only met when we make God the highest priority of our lives. That's what the scripture says. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Because he's the one who knows what we really need. You know, we, we, 
I went through this period of time in my life when I, I, I was certain I needed to have a video camera. Need I say more? <laughs> God knows what we really need. And when we put him first, he meets those needs. And he is the only one that has the power to do so. Giving God first place in our lives frees us to live for more than having our needs met. I find myself, like you do, often living my life in pursuit of getting those needs for satisfaction, security, and significance met, and that's all my life's about. But dear one, that's not why God created you. And he's saying, stop! Don't waste your life trying to find the, the means of meeting those needs apart from me. Let me meet those needs in a righteous, holy way so that you can live your life for more than that. Because that's why I created you, for more than that. And when we do, then worry and anxiety no longer rule us. And when we do, we are free to pursue our destiny. You know, some years ago, in another city, <laughs> someone else you don't know, Taiwanese lady. I didn't speak English very well, but we could communicate. And uh, over the course of some interactions that we had as the Lord brought her into connection with, my, with Sue and I, she came to give her life to Jesus. And uh, one day, she, I forget why, but I, I was over to her house. I, I'm pretty certain I was there to deliver something, although I can't really remember what it was. And so I got out of the car, walked through the door, rang the doorbell, and gave her whatever it was. And she said, Do you, would you, you know what, I just went to Costco, of course, it was a little bit broken English, but I, I could hear the word Costco. <laughs> and, and she said, you know, I, I got two, you know, gallons of orange juice. You know, you never go to Costco. And you just <laughs> two gallons of orange juice. I will never drink all this. Uh, can I give you one? I said, well, well, sure. So she went into her kitchen. She came out and gave me this gallon of orange juice. And so I start to walk away. And she goes, oh, can I give you something else? I said, sure, I'm, I'm thinking, well, now I'm going to get a side of beef or something, you know. <laughs> or or 50,000 rolls of toilet paper or something like that, right? And so she comes back, and she's got this great big, I mean big, painting of Buddha. And she says, you know, I don't want this in my house anymore. I don't either, you know. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, I took that thing, and I marched out of there, and, and it went to the dump. But, but the point is, this was happening for real in her life. Now, you and I don't have 
many of us don't have little statuettes of fat guys sitting on some altar at home when we rub the belly when we go by. But sure as that is the case for many people in this world, we have put other things before God. Those things we think will meet our needs. And I'm not pointing any fingers here because this happens to me. I regularly discover that I've done that and have to repent of it. I hear the Lord's loving command, don't have anything else before me. I'm the only one who can meet your needs. And, and when I do, then you're free to pursue destiny rather than simply meeting needs. I want to invite you to come with me before God and picture yourself, whatever that is that's come between you and God that you've pushed up to a higher priority in your life than it needs to be. Let's hand it over to, to somebody. In fact, let's, I know what we'll do, but let's hand that over. I don't want this in my house anymore. Stand with me. First, I'm going to pray. <coughs> and then, uh, this may sound silly, but I'm, I'm going to, uh, when I finish praying and say amen, I'm going to stand up here. And any of you that recognize right now, and I wouldn't expect that this would be everyone, but any of you that recognize right now that something has taken a higher priority in your life than God, I'm going to invite you after, after I say amen and everyone else is dismissed to get out of your seat, come here and hand that thing to me and say, I don't want this in my house anymore. And it can ju it'll be just an imaginary thing because it's, you're not likely not carrying it with you, although I don't know. But let's just make that exchange. Hand, put that in my hand and let's agree together. You don't want that in your house anymore. So let's pray. God in heaven, we come to you this morning understanding that the command you shall not have other gods before me is about much more than that. And we thank you, Lord, that out of your loving heart you have, you have got our attention and caused us to see that we've been pursuing something that will ultimately destroy us and keep us from the life you intended. Lord, we want to we want to lay those things down. We want to cast them down. We want to be rid of them. We want and I Lord, I know that the patterns of life that have developed around these these gods, the the um, the habits, the the ways of thinking, it's, it's become quite, a, quite an enterprise that we've developed around some of these gods, and it's, it's going to take some time to dismantle all of that. But, Lord, it has to start somewhere, and we want that dismantling of that worship of a false god in our lives to begin now. Because we only want you. So we come, Lord, before you now, 
to be rid of that, to stop that, to put you to the to your rightful place as first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Take first place in my life, Lord. And cause your plans and your purposes and your loving um, desires for my life to be fulfilled. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So now you're just...